All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, on this Wednesday, November 13th. Yeah, November 13th. It's getting cold. It is getting cold out there. Uh, I bundled up. It's down to 23 today. Uh, it's been a while since my last. Been a while since my last podcast recording. Uh, I don't know. Just been busy. Uh, you know, had a had a Halloween. You know, first time hosting Halloween, so was gearing up for that. Now I'm gearing up for a Friendsgiving, had a bachelor party with my one friend, like it, just a lot of stuff going on. This has been a busy fall, uh, but had a, a lot of fun. Been getting to some football games, right? Got a, you know, last week, last time talked to you about Dallas. The trip to Dallas was awesome. Uh, also went to another football game since then, though. The celebration of the 150th football game, or not, you know, 150 years of football, basically, of college football. Uh, the first game ever played between uh, Princeton and Rutgers. Uh, that did not happen. It was Princeton versus Dartmouth to celebrate the uh, 150 years because, uh, let's face it, Rutgers has, I mean, is, is on tough times right now. They cannot afford to lose to Princeton um, at Yankee Stadium. Like, that just... It would it would be even more crushing than some of the other games that they play. And you know what? Princeton's been a good team last couple of years. They lost to Dartmouth in this game, which kind of sucked. Never really see Princeton lose all that much. We go to a good amount of games, and we usually see them win because they're usually really good, and usually they don't lose at home, and usually they're better than Dartmouth. But uh, Dartmouth kind of uh, you know gave them like a one-two punch right in the mouth. Princeton couldn't stop their running game. And uh, couldn't really move the ball on them that well. So it was a little disappointing, but uh, still proud of the Tigers. Even though it was a really cold day, it was really cool seeing a lot of uh, my dad's old friends. Uh, a lot of Princeton alumni there. And it uh, wasn't really the typical tailgate fashion we usually do in the parking lot. But there was a bar. I forget the name of the bar. It's right by, uh, it's called, oh, it's called Dugout. Right by Yankee Stadium. After Sam and I went to Stan's which was empty when we were there, which is pretty cool because apparently it's always really packed with Yankee fans. Uh, went to stands for a couple beers. Then we went to dugout, which was insanely crowded, and we went all the way to the back. And I appreciate Sam making the effort to go all the way back because both of us hate crowds, and this was a tough crowd to get through. But went into the bar, had a good time. Uh, good time at the game. It, it was it was just great. Uh, have, you know, I have some pictures from that too, and I'm going to share that because it, it was really cool. We got a... We've got a great year of uh, of events, you know that we're not even done yet. But between a bunch of weddings that were really cool, where I got to go to you know Rochester, Buffalo, and Niagara, and uh, Cape Cod, and California, and it, it was just like it, it was it was a special year with a lot of things to do. And it's winding down, but it's not done yet. Uh, it's not done. But the Princeton. 150th uh, you know anniversary of the first ever football game played. It's really cool being a part of that, and uh, even though they didn't win, just to just to have been there, just to you know be a part of something really cool. So uh, yeah, so leading off Jake news is the Princeton Dartmouth 150 game, and uh, definitely gonna show you a picture of that because it was special, special, uh, special thing. Have you ever been to a you know an Ivy League game? Not a lot of my followers probably have, 
they are fun and, and it's it's a good time. Usually they're really tight. That's what I would have liked. I would have liked it to be a little bit of a tighter game because we were freezing our buns off. Um, after the game, we did go to Star Tavern in West Orange. I think it was West Orange. Um, a little overhyped. I'll just say that. Um, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade, but it just was... It, uh, we've been to a lot of pizza places this year. Been to a lot of pizza places over my entire life. And, uh, I don't know, for a bar pie, it wasn't cooked all that well. And, uh, I mean, you know, maybe I could have said, hey, go cook this more. But I grade the pizza on the way it's served. You know, I, I didn't give Modern a break when uh, I said, you know what, this one needs a little bit more sauce. I was like, no, this is how they served it. If, if I sent it back and got one, yeah, maybe it would have been the best pizza I've ever had. But, sorry, I graded on what, it's, what, what you bring it out as. So, uh, you know, call me crazy. But whatever. So, next up in Jake News, there's an album out right now. Uh, it's been out for a couple months, but I didn't give it a shot at first because the first two singles that were released, I didn't love. You know, I uh, when Taylor Swift released Me with Brendan Urie and uh, You Need to Calm Down, I was like, this is what her new album is going to be. This is crap. This is garbage. Um, and uh, it just... I don't know. I didn't really give it a chance. Fast forward a couple months. Uh, Sam is playing the song Lover a lot. And I'm like, that's a pretty good song. I'm like, yeah, I actually haven't listened to that album. We go to Brendan's bachelor party. And he's like, hey, Jake, you love this new Taylor Swift album, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, of course, obviously. Meaning like, uh, I haven't really listened to it. But I'm not going to say no because, you know, don't want to look like a weirdo. Um, and then I was, and he played it. And I was like, this is great. This is a great album. Been listening to it for the last couple weeks. I have a whole hierarchy of the songs, but uh, you know, not to. I'm not going to rank all the songs on the podcast, but I'll say this: you know, her her least two of her worst 18 songs, right? Like the 18 songs in the album, probably two of the bottom three were the singles. Me and you need to calm down. I'm like those two combined with uh, the man are like the bottom ones the bottom feeders of the album lover great song the archer great song miss americana heartbreak prince great song i think he knows good song cruel summer good song forgot you existed good song uh, paper rings cornelia street london boy good songs soon you'll get better good song uh false god really good song it's nice to have a friend that's a pretty good song like I looked at this album, I'm like, holy shit, I have not been giving this enough chance. And a lot of people will say, like, oh, Taylor Swift, like, Poppy, whatever, she's annoying, oh, I love the Kardashians, so I hate her, her. like, I, I don't really care. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm a huge fan. I think she writes good songs, even if it's not always her and it's her and someone else, I don't care. I think her songs are pretty good, and uh, she now has, like, 20-plus songs that I can say I really like that song. And that puts her in top five musician category for me more on that later but uh anyway in terms of jake news that is jake news the intro is a taylor swift song i'm a big taylor swift fan had a poster in college not weird it's not weird it was a magazine cover so you know it was like the rolling stone poster regardless um taylor swift's lover good now um more jake news 
Uh, we'll j- dive into my nostalgic of the week, actually. Um, it's been a couple weeks, so I'm going to date this back to something that's more October 31st-ish and not November 13th-ish, but I still wanted to include this on the podcast because I think I do it every year. Um, the nostalgic of the week, of the month, whatever, is definitely the Ghostbusters story for me. And if you haven't heard it, buckle up, you're going to love it. Um, you know, we actually watched Ghostbusters on Halloween as we're, you know, waiting for the kids to come in and, you know, give them the candy and stuff, uh, trick-or-treating. Uh, I was like, you know, why don't we just put on a, you know, a Halloween movie? And, uh, since Sam wasn't like super like into it at the time, I was like, I'm just gonna put on Ghostbusters. You don't mind. She had never seen it. So I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. And, um, it reminded me of the story of when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, whatever it was, when trick or treating one Halloween and came back. And when we come back to the house after trick or treating, it's me, my younger sister, my cousins, John and Kate, who were all in the you know age range of like four years of each other. Um, we're counting up all of our candy, we're separating them, we're trading them, we're doing all the things that like kids do. And we're blasting the Halloween album we have. And the Halloween album has obviously the Monster Mash. Um, Rock Lobster. It has like one of the Rocky Horror Picture Show songs. Um, it it has like sound effects, werewolf sounds, um, a, lot, a lot of like fun, cool things. And but uh, most importantly, is the Ghostbusters theme song. So I go over to the CD changer and I just say, you know, what? we're playing Ghostbusters on repeat because I love this song. Uh, Ray Parker Jr. Come on. So <laughs> we're playing this on repeat, and my mom's like, Jake, this song is driving me nuts. Please turn it off. So I go over and I turn off, I push the button that like turns it off in the living room and, and, uh, and like family room because we have one of those like speaker system things. And this was a pretty cool thing at the time. So, okay, turn it off. Can't hear it anymore. The system's actually still on, but you just can't hear it in the two rooms that I push the buttons. Important detail. So anyway, we finish up with the candy, go, you know, go to bed. And, uh, next morning is like Saturday morning. So I have like rec soccer or whatever. I wake up and I um, you know, have to go get my cleats in the garage and I'm like, what the hell is that sound? You know, and, and I grab my spikes from the garage, and I open up the door, and I didn't turn off the CD player. So it was still playing Ghostbusters on repeat, only in the rooms that I didn't turn it off. And we have speakers on the porch and outside in the backyard or in the patio. And I realized I was like, holy shit, I have been playing Ghostbusters for like 12 hours on repeat and we're right across the street from the police station i'm surprised like no one made a complaint i i really appreciate it i i know mrs scotto knows this story by the back of her hand by now but really appreciate um the scotto's not not complaining the mazer's not complaining whoever lived in that corner house at the time um and then i guess i guess the drews you know or or maybe it was still the fisherman um next door but Really appreciate no one ratting on me because my parents didn't know about this for the longest time. But just goes to show you, when you make when you turn something off, make sure it's off because uh, you might be playing Ghostbusters for twelve hours. So uh, not not a crazy story, but uh, just a fun one and definitely a nostalgic. You know, I see Ghostbusters come on and and yeah, I'm, I'm obviously gonna play it because I, I you know it's a fun movie. It, it it brings me back and it's nostalgic. You know, especially that song. I ain't afraid no ghosts. Great song. God, that was a great song. So, all right. Uh, Before we get into football, actually, no, we're going to dive right in.
no, 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 no. You know what? We'll, we'll do a little quick Cavalier update because, you know, since the last podcast, all right, baseball's been done. Congratulations to the Washington Nationals. Didn't think they would have what it takes to win the World Series, but they did. And uh, happy for my friend Brendan Engelstad, his dad Gary, and all the Nationals fans in the Engelstad family because I don't know many uh, Nationals fans. My my college roommate TJ, who is a converted DC sports fan uh, after you know moving down there and, and absorbing in the life down there. So uh, congrats to him on the Nats win. Really cool, especially since it's coming out now that the Astros were cheating. Um, and I think that's awesome that you know they lost the World Series even though they they've been cheating and uh, the Indians fell to the Astros in the playoffs and uh, they were kind of our enemy for a little bit of time there especially since Trevor Bauer didn't make any friends when he was in Cleveland um, so it was nice to see the Astros go down even though they're cheating uh, Jan Gomes catching strike three to win the World Series very poetic ending for uh, me a Jan Gomes fan I might have to buy a Jan Gomes World Series champion jersey. I don't know. Might might have to mess around and do that for myself for a little uh, Christmas gift. Big Jan Gomes fan. Not sure if you've heard, but pretty cool to see them win uh, the World Series. It was a uh, a weird year because you know nobody really talked about the Nationals, and that's baseball. That's baseball, Susan. That's baseball because you have a year where everyone's talking about the Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and and basically everyone else. It's like okay, you're either one of those three teams, or you're one of like the next. 15 teams that has just a shot at it you know the Braves the Cardinals the Indians the uh Red Sox were in there for a little bit the A's and Rays who beat out the Indians and Red Sox the Twins everyone forgot about the Twins Twins were awesome and set a home run record but uh went like that quickly into the night that's the crazy thing about baseball it's the longest season ever and then just like that your team is out in a week And it was was a tough ending for the Indians. They really dropped the ball at the end there, but they overcame a lot to put themselves in a position to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they they just couldn't get it done to get in. And uh, the the injuries caught up to them. It's whatever. But uh, it was was cool to see the Nationals win. If the Indians can't win, I wanted to be a former Indian, a former Indian I really liked, and a team that one of my friends root for. Um, And one of my friends that won't, you know, throw it in my face like if the Yankees had won. God forbid. So it was pretty cool seeing the Nationals win, um, but now it's nice to be off from baseball for a while. I don't want to, I don't even want to think about the Francisco Lindor rumors. Oh well, now that we brought it up, though, um, there are rumors that there's going to be a Major League Baseball superstar traded, and the names Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor were thrown around, among others. But uh, yeah, of course Lindor's name is going to be thrown around. Teams know that the Indians can't trade him. So they're going to leak those rumors out there and say, oh, the Indians are actually looking to trade Lindor. They don't want to do that. But the more people talk about it and the more Lindor is like, oh, if you're not going to pay me, why don't you trade me to a place that will? It it applies the heat. So the teams, let's say the Dodgers, that are going to be in for Lindor services, it would behoove them to uh, float that rumor. Now, I don't want to trade Francisco Lindor. I want to use him... In Cleveland, he's an MVP candidate. He's one of the faces of MLB. Uh, it would be a bad idea to move him, especially when he's, what, 25 years old? Because there's probably not a package out there that's worthy of Francisco Lindor. You know, there's some great prospects, but 
how many times do all those prospects turn out to be the guy that you think or want him to be? It never happens. So you're basically saying, oh, I'll take these four delicious lottery tickets, but yet if two hit, it's good. And it's like, all right, is Francisco and Lindor worth those two lottery tickets? Maybe not. So uh, I don't think that's my number one reason why I don't want to trade him is I don't think they'll get proper value. And two, we're still in this. You know, we won 94 games this year and, and we lost like the last five. We had a chance to go like 98 wins and still miss the playoffs. But um, it, it was it, it was a really shitty finish to the year, but they created they got creative with some space, with some cap space, so that they're not paying Trevor Bauer anymore. Um, they don't have to pay Jason Kipnis anymore, which you know, it was sad to see him go, but you know, maybe they bring him back on a shorter contract, you know, lesser, probably not, but maybe. Um, but the Indians are still in this, and they can make a move. Maybe if they re-sign Yasiel Puig for a one-year deal, or maybe if they go out and like make a trade of Corey Kluber and get a you know like a stud outfielder because we have the pitching depth. You know, Bieber started the year as the five, uh, finished the year All-Star Game MVP and a Cy Young candidate. You know, Mike Clevenger, Cy Young candidate. Cookie Carrasco, he's still got it in there. He was battling cancer this year. And uh, Corey Kluber broke his arm on the first start of May and missed the rest of the season. So, like, we had two aces that that basically were ineffective this year because of injury or illness. We still have two other aces. And we've now seen that between Plesak and Logan Allen and uh, Plutko and... I mean, Heffrey Rodriguez, possibly Salazar, the options are there. The Indians are still going to be good. We had to face a all-time Twins team and still brought brought it down to the wire against them. So I think the Indians will be back. And I don't want to trade Lindor while we are still in this window. But if they do trade him, because they eventually will, hopefully they just get a package that no other team has gotten before for a superstar. All right. Um... Enough baseball. It's not baseball season where it's actually basketball season. Um, for those of you, you know, we didn't expect much out of the Cavs this year, but and I know it's only ten games. Right? I know it's you know they're the four and six Cavaliers or whatever. Uh, I think that's the record. You know, they're not bad. They're fun to watch. They are. They are a very fun team and. They are the most fun team since I'd say the 16-17 Cavaliers because there's no drama with this team. There's no expectations with this team. Um, unlike those Cavs teams, they're not going to win the Eastern Conference. They're not going to go to the NBA Finals. But they're fun. It's it's fun watching them play. There's no LeBron. There's no Kyrie, which sucks. But these young guys you know, like are, are really good. Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, turning into a very nice backcourt of, you know, that we wanted to build them in the CJ uh, Dame combo. And so far, so good. And they're both, what, 19 and 20 years old. And we're seeing a lot of really good stuff from them. So I'm really excited. They've got a couple wings that are fun with Porter Jr. And they just signed Chetty Oshman to a deal. Uh, Kevin Love, every, <clears throat> for some reason, every national media member is like, Kevin Love. He's on the trade block. Guys, he's not on the trade block. Okay? The Cavs will trade him if he wants to get traded. But A, he doesn't want to get traded. Um, and if he does, it will be out there. 
but he doesn't want to be traded. He likes being here. He's in a good spot mentally in his life, and that's always been a big thing for him is, is his mental health. He's in a good spot mentally. He is a great veteran leader for this team, and this Cavs team's not tanking. They're competing. They lost by one point to the Sixers. They, uh, you know, outside of like the basically the Dallas game, every game has been tight this year, and uh, unless they, you know, win, they just flat out had a couple really nice wins, beat the crap out of the Knicks and the Wizards. You know, bad teams. They're like, okay, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to beat the crap out of bad teams. The Cavs aren't really a bad team. They're gonna fight for the playoffs. And I know, I know what you think when you say like Eastern Conference fighting for the playoffs. How good can you be? Well. They're led by a couple of 19 and 20 year olds, and uh, it's really cool to see them growing right in front of you. And they've got some ball baller skills. You know they can really play. So pretty pumped up for this Cavs team. Um, not gonna have huge expectations, but it's exciting stuff. So uh, a little shocked by the Cavs. I'm just gonna say it. So anyway, gonna get into football. Um, kind of a mid-season report. Everyone's played nine or ten games now, so we're now in the second half of the season. And I know you guys are probably thinking, oh boy, here's the Browns fan. Browns go two and six in the first half of the season. They're now three and six after a win against Buffalo just to, you know, keep their, you know, season on, you know, life support. And you're probably thinking, okay, well, Jake, Came into the season with his chest, you know, puffed all up high, and and oh, he was talking all this shit. And I really wasn't. I was just excited for the Browns to be good. Now, I knew there were losses on the schedule, and I knew the losses were in the first half of the season. I actually predicted that the Browns would be ten and six. Now, in my preseason prediction, I said it's not crazy to say eleven and five. I'll go ten and six. And then when I tweeted out which games I thought they'd win and which games I thought they'd lose, their losses I thought were in the beginning of the season. I predicted six losses. At Baltimore in week four and versus the Rams in week three. Okay, They lost to the Rams, but they actually beat Baltimore. Okay, um, I predicted that they would lose one of the Niners-Seahawks game. I went back and forth on that. Um, they ended up losing both of those games. Really sucked, but you know it is what it is. I predicted that they'd win against the Jets and the Titans to start the season two and zero. They beat the Jets, but they lost to the Titans in tough fashion. You know, they um, it, it was just ugly. I mean, they went into the fourth quarter in a two point game, and all of a sudden it was three picks later. It, it was ugly, uh, ugly game. But um, I predicted they lose to the Patriots. I predicted they'd lose to the Broncos. Um, and and my sixth and final loss was at Pittsburgh. So my six predicted losses was at San Francisco, at New England, at Denver, at Pittsburgh, at Baltimore. Five road games, and then home versus the Rams was the six. I predicted they beat the Seahawks at home. I predicted they beat the Jets, the Titans at home. I predicted they beat the Steelers, Ravens, Bengals at home. Bengals on the road, Cardinals on the road, Dolphins, Bills, both at home. Um, and, and that would be 10-6. and six. At the halfway point, going into that Denver game, as crazy as the first half of the season has been, 
we were just a win at Denver away from being exactly where I thought they'd be, 3-5 and five at the halfway point. But of course, Brandon Allen, third stringer, who's never really gotten a shot in the NFL, <sighs> had to beat the Browns. Browns, yeah, there's a lot. You can point the finger anywhere. The national media members that hate us, they're so happy. They wanted the Browns to be bad. Uh, why? Because what we got excited. You know, everyone says, "Oh, the Browns are you know needed to be you know like talked down." Why? Because Baker Mayfield does commercials. You know, it's we weren't talking shit. You know, Baker Mayfield says you know, or uh, Odell Beckham said in the preseason that he wants to be the Patriots. Like, and everyone's like, "Oh, Browns are predicting Super Bowl." Like, no, that's just like that's the goal of the Browns. Stop misquoting us, Mary Kay. By the way, I've been blocked by Tony Grossi and Mary Kay because you know they suck. So, uh, so I've been blocked, but like our own media members are misquoting our own players to make them look bad. You know, they're like, Oh, quote Jarvis Landry guaranteeing a win at new England. He didn't do that. If you just listen to him talk, you can tell he was just talking about the mentality you take. They asked him, what's the mentality you take? You're going into Foxborough for an undefeated team. What's your mentality? He's like, we're going to win. That's the mentality. Come on. He's a, he's an athlete and that's what athletes say. So it's really frustrating to hear our own media members misquote our own players and then make it look worse so that the national media members shit on us on every you know live publication and basically everywhere we look, it's people hating on the Browns. I mean, I'm a Browns fan. I predict they go 10-6 basically every year. And then the biggest hype year, I also say 10-6, 11-5 wouldn't be crazy. 12-4 was like, okay, if you're if everything goes perfectly. But I did also leave some room. I said, if things go bad, they can get bad. How will it happen? This is what I said two months ago, three days before the season started. If serious issues. I've been talking about the tackles for a long time. That they have journeyman tackles. Greg Robinson on the left, Chris Hubbard on the right. A lot of people say Campen is the new offensive line coach. He's going to be able to coach them up. Under Freddie Kitchens, the offense got the ball out fast, and Baker wasn't pressured a lot in the second half. I understand those, but those offensive tackles did really well, much better than they have throughout their careers. Are we going to really, you know, just assume they do that well again? I don't like those odds. I think there's going to be a little bit of regression from the tackle position. Now, are they going to be able to make upgrades? Maybe. But I doubt it. Um, I don't see uh, a cheap enough upgrade out there that they can make right now. I think the Browns, though, you know, outside of the offensive line, it's it's about protecting quarterback because uh, if they can't protect Baker, this offense is going to suffer. And this offense is going to suffer, and that's exactly what's happened. We expected some very high point totals, and I said in that quote. That if the offensive line comes back down, which it which it was born to, and I, you know what's funny in my whole prediction, I I didn't even mention right guard until the very end when I go, I didn't even mention right guard, but that's one of the biggest issues. Right guard has been a huge issue. Wyatt Teller, uh, hopefully he's the answer, but you know he's only started one or two games, and uh, we have a lot of losses. With you know, with the Kush and everyone else has rotated in at the line, uh, it's just been ugly. 
And I watch almost every game with Sam. Um, and she's sitting here with me and she's like, it's frustrating even as someone who's not a Browns fan because you can see them play good. And then you can see that they should be better. And she's like, it's just wild that they're not better than they are. I'm like, story story of a Browns fan right now. So, But I did predict they'd go better in the second half. Now, I said they're going to lose at Pittsburgh, and they're going to have to win that game to get to 10-6 and six now because they've exhausted all of their losses. Um, Arizona also, that no longer looks like a pushover game. That looks like a game where Arizona might be favored. Cincinnati, those two two games should be wins. Miami should be a win. All right. So they're three and six now. Those three, that should get them six wins. They should beat Pittsburgh at home tomorrow night, Thursday night football. They should do it. And if they do that, they are setting themselves up really nicely because after this Pittsburgh game, let's let's forget about this game for a second. But after the Pittsburgh game, they have 10 days off to heal up, get ready. If they need to make a move at right tackle, you know, maybe Drew Forbes when he comes back from the IR, maybe he's getting the right tackle spot. And maybe Wyatt Teller, you know, really wins the job and starts running with it at right guard. Hey, maybe, maybe okay. Maybe we got this going. We got 10 days to prepare for Miami. And then another week before the second Pittsburgh game. Then it's Cincinnati, Arizona, Baltimore, Cincinnati. Forget about that final month. If you can get these next three games and get to six and six, we're in this thing. And December football matters again. Now, none of it matters if you don't take care of business against the Steelers at home because basically forget about the records. The Browns can't make the playoffs if they still can't beat the Steelers. Forget about the records. Forget about the Steelers' record. Forget about the Ravens' record. Forget about the Browns' record. If the Browns want to make the playoffs, they're not going to do that by still losing to Pittsburgh. I can remember so many Steeler games. I mean, like, I've been a Browns fan my entire life. I've been watching the Browns consistently since 1999. And every game of the season since the early 2000s, right? You know, when I'm when I was growing up and, and really becoming a fan. And I can remember so many games. Like, I remember so many bad games. But there's nothing I remember more than Steeler games. Because, you. I mean, A, they've ended the season a lot with Steelers. And usually when we're ending the season, we're on, like, our third quarterback. Everything's been shitty. And we're just trying to get out of there. And they're like, let's just beat the shit out of the Browns before we go to the playoffs. Uh, and their third-string quarterback, Bruce Gradkowski, or Connor Shaw, or Ken Dorsey, or, you know, uh, Thad Lewis, whoever it is that week. So it's frustrating that we have so many games against the Steelers there that here some people be like, well, it'll be cheap if you beat Mason Rudolph. Bullshit. Mason Rudolph would have been a very nice Browns quarterback for a very long time had we had him instead of some of the garbage we've peddled out there. So I don't want to hear that, oh, well, they have Mason Rudolph. It cheapens the game. It does not. This is This is our turn. Big Ben's out. Brown, Bell, they're out too. The Steelers, they've got a good team still. All right, They've got a defense that it's it's like, look, they're back. The Steelers' defense is back. Devin Bush, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt, they've got a, a pretty sick you know, core of linebackers, and their D-line has always and still is pretty good. 
I think their D-backs get elevated because of the front seven. Because I think they're still burnable. I said that in my preview too for the season. I said Joe Hayden and Artie Burns and uh, Nelson from Kansas City, who's now there. Those guys are burnable. And they can be burned, especially by the Browns receivers who are, are, go- are mismatches for them. But the Browns haven't had an identity. And I hate to say that because Colin Cowherd loves to say Browns don't have an identity. But it's the Browns haven't been able to figure themselves out yet. If this Buffalo game is a turning point where they won and it was a dramatic finish on a field goal that Buffalo missed, if this is a turning point for the Browns, and you look at the way they've played since the bye week where, okay, Baker Mayfield has one turnover in the three games and it's really it was a pop pass that was blown up in the backfield against New England in shitty weather and it was a bad call. It, it was bad. The New England game was bad, but at least the Browns, you know, it was they shot themselves in the foot in the first quarter, but ever since that first quarter of the New England game, Browns have played some very competitive football against really good defenses. And again, they're going to have another good defense on their hands, but I think this is a chance for the Browns to get another win. It's Thursday night football. It's going to be a loud crowd. Whether Baker likes that or not, the crowd's going to be loud. There are going to be Steeler fans there. It's going to be ruckus and... I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I want to say that the Browns go in, they hang 24 points, and they win 24-21. I think it's going to be a tight game. I do think it's going to be, do the Browns get through Pittsburgh's offensive line and get to Mason Rudolph? Because that is their best chance of winning, is flustering Mason Rudolph. If they don't get to him, it's going to be a problem, and the Steelers can put up 28-30 points. And with that defense, they're going to win. So I think the Browns need to get to Mason Rudolph. They need to force turnovers. The one thing, that was where I was wrong. I thought the Browns, they forced so many turnovers last year. They're going to turn. They're gonna force a lot of turnovers again and still get sacks and turn some of these into defensive touchdowns or a special teams touchdown, which they still haven't had. It's been so long since the Browns had a defensive touchdown. I feel like they don't know how to do it. They've had nice returns on defense, but never a touchdown. And I I really think the next time the Browns do that, I don't know when it's going to be, but they're going to win that game. They get a defensive touchdown because it's just, it's such a a big, huge shift in momentum to get a defensive touchdown. Like, let's say the Browns were up in a game and then got a pick six. Like, good Lord. I, I, I forget what it's like that your defense can actually give you points. Meanwhile, the Patriots' defense has scored more touchdowns than it's given up. I, I think that's still the case. It might not be because they got mollywopped by the Ravens, which I'm not I, – I'm I literally everyone wants to be like, oh, you're wrong on the Ravens. I don't think so. I mean, I was wrong that I thought they wouldn't be able to compete with the Patriots and uh, the Seahawks, and instead they beat them. So I was wrong where the you know I thought the Ravens would lose some games, but I even knew they were going to win those games. I was like, of course the Browns would shoot themselves in the foot against the Seahawks, and then the Seahawks would just turn around and and just piss their pants against the Ravens, and then basically the same exact thing with New England. It feels like the Browns like were were like the the guy that loosened up the pickle jar almost all the way, and then the second guy comes in and opens it up just on ease. That's what it felt like being a Browns fan this sec- the first half of the season, loosening up these good teams for uh, the Ravens to beat up. But there's no excuses. I mean, it's still going to come down to can they take care of 
they can they become the team we all thought they could be? We all said the first half was going to be tough, and the second half was going to have the wins. Now we've we've gone through it. We've gone through the toughest part of the schedule. From now on, from now to the rest of the season, the Cleveland Browns have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. Can they capitalize? I think they can, and I think it starts tomorrow night with a Thursday night football win, kicking off my awesome, awesome weekend, where I get to host my Friendsgiving, where I get to eat some early Thanksgiving foods, and where I might take a sick day early next week because, uh, just because. So, that's all. Um, So, the mid-season brown stock, yeah, I mean, I could go into so much. Baker versus Grossi, you you know. the Richard Sherman bullshit. There has been so much bad press on the Browns. And frankly, I think we'll, we'll address it at the end of the season. It's not worth it right now because the Browns, we need to get into the right place, the right mindset right now. So, and that's, and, and complaining about bad Mimi members isn't going to do that. So, Hey, Browns big game tomorrow night, beating the Steelers. I don't care what their record is. I don't care if the Browns are out of the playoffs or not. Tanking is not an option for this team anymore. We have now set the bar way too high to say we can tank, get another high draft pick, and and just regroup next year. This team needs wins. They need wins against the Steelers, Ravens, and Bengals. They need wins, you know, AFC North wins, but they need to be able to win these games they haven't been able to win. And they're not going to make the playoffs until they start to do these things. And all the Browns fans wanted this shift to happen in one year. Right, they went from winless to seven, eight, and one, which was like a miracle. And we wanted the same amount of improvement. We wanted seven, eight, and one to then jump us into the playoffs. But we're still figuring ourselves out. We're still figuring out how to beat the Steelers. We beat the Ravens. We beat the crap out of them, and we know exactly what to do to them when we face them again later this year. So for all the people that are loving Lamar Jackson and are saying that he's the NFL MVP and that the Browns whiffed by taking Baker Mayfield, I'll say this. Browns whooped Lamar Jackson in week four. Let's see how the Browns do against them in week 16 when that game might matter. Just get me to that point. Get me to that game mattering for both teams. And let's see how Lamar Jackson does in Cleveland. Because Lamar Jackson is great against teams that have never faced him before. And Lamar Jackson is great against the Bengals and Dolphins. But Lamar Jackson is not great against teams that have seen him. The Chargers, the Chiefs, second time around they saw him, he was non-factor. Browns, second time they saw him, non-factor. Teams are starting to catch up to him, I'm telling you. He's going to put up gaudy numbers, but the same way that Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson load up on the big wins against uh, Wofford and Miami, Ohio, you know, just saying, watch out for that. So, all right. Um, that's, that's it on the Browns. You know, it's, we're deep into the podcast. I don't need to talk about the Browns anymore. Um, it's going to be an interesting second half. If they can beat the Steelers, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if, and if they can't, you know what? I still want to see them go into Miami to beat Miami. I want to still see them beat the Steelers uh, in Pittsburgh because they need to get over this hump. That's what they need to do. It's more important than draft picks at this point. And I know from a guy that has always been about the NFL draft and how important nailing these draft picks are, it is more important for the Browns to learn to win football games, not to get high draft picks. So, 
That's the state of the Browns. The three and six. The shit ain't over. It's not over yet. So, um, before I get to my one minute movie reviews to finish up the podcast, I did hint at a top five. Um, Taylor Swift's Lover album has really got me, like, just like, like singing her praises recently. She is legit a top five favorite artist of mine. And I'm going to do my top five favorite artists right now. Top five favorite musical artists. Number five is Third Eye Blind. Now, they've got two or three of my favorite songs of all time. You got Jumper and Semi-Charmed Kind of Life. I mean, have you ever heard Joe Barricotta in the Parker House basement segue Jumper into Semi-Charmed Kind of Life? I mean, if you haven't heard it, you haven't lived. It's just the truth. It's That is it's one of the best music segues. Uh, I can remember a lot of really great times being down there with my friends, and uh, I've seen Third Eye Blind now a couple times in concert, and I can't say that about many bands or musical acts in general. I can't say that I've seen a lot in concert multiple times. I've been to a good amount of concerts, but the amount of people I've seen twice, there are really only three, and all of them are on this list. So we can get to them later. All right, number four. Boy, I really wanted to put him higher. But I'm going to put Prince at number four. Because he doesn't have the catalog, the depth of catalog that um, that the top three have for me. And uh, I love Prince. I think he's the coolest weird guy or weirdest cool guy, however you want to put it, um, that has ever entered the music industry. And when he died, I got made fun of for doing an RIP post. I did the rip hard in the chat for, uh, for Prince. But... Hey, it, it, it bothered me because then I thought I'm never going to see Prince in concert. And that's someone that I, I, I missed out on because that would have been a great show to do. And I worked at Madison Square Garden and he never played there when I worked there. And uh, yeah, it was just like it just felt like a big whiff on my part to never see Prince while he was alive because he's got so many songs that I think are great. He's a great guitarist. I think Purple Rain, if it was a little bit shorter, is the best song of all time. I think it is one of the best songs of all time, and uh, Raspberry Beret is a, is a is a classic of mine too. So Prince easily top five, number four, number three. I'm putting Taylor in there. Look, I know you're like Jake. That's such a weird pick, or Jake. That's stupid. Like Taylor Swift, really? I'm like, I can name twenty songs that I like of Taylor Swift's. So what does that say? It says that she's one of my favorite artists. Because I can't say that about anyone except for my number two, one and two. So, I, I mean, like, if I went to a Taylor Swift concert and I said, I hope she plays these 30 songs in this order, I mean, I think it says it right there. I think that's clearly she's one of my favorite artists, right? I mean, like, the other day I caught myself, like, ordering which songs I would want to hear. And I'm like, yeah, I, I've only ever done that for numbers one and two. So, Taylor Swift, number three. And it, crazy. Because I thought, I thought I'm like, all right, whatever. It's just that she's like, you know, got like, you know, pop songs that you like to hear, you like to listen to, and you can head, bop your head to the car. No, no. It, it, she's a complete artist now. It's unbelievable. It's really a, a crazy take. But uh, yeah, Taylor Swift, number three favorite artist. Number two, I, these two are probably not a surprising one, but number two is Matchbox 20. Uh, one of the first albums I ever got, um, you know, when I got my Bose radio, uh, you know, way back in the 90s, my dad got me a Bose radio and got me five CDs. One was Green Day's Nimrod. One was The Best of the Police. Uh, one was VH1 The Cuts. 
Another was VH1 Live uh, 10,000 Maniacs featuring Natalie Merchant. And the other was Matchbox 20, Yourself or Someone Like You, which has a three-song run of Long Day, Push, or four-song run of Long Day, Push, 3 a.m. and Real World. Uh, not to mention Back to Good in the song as well, in the in the album as well. Uh, that album, one of my favorites of all time. And then they followed it up with uh, Mad Season, which had Mad Season, and If You're Gone, and Bent, and uh, just like right there, both those two, back to back, they really killed it. And uh, even afterwards, when Rob Thomas you know, had kind of had his own personal issues and problems, they still made great songs afterwards with Disease and Unwell and Bright Lights and and they took another hiatus and they still made great songs out there and i went to see them in concert it was my first concert i ever saw and then i saw them at the end of summer 2017 um maybe it was end of 2018 maybe it was a yeah maybe it was 2018 summer 2018 and it was one of the best concerts i've ever seen period they were awesome rob thomas it really sounded like he just like appreciates everything in his life now um, cause he, you know, he had some, some issues with, uh, I think drugs and alcohol and, and he's really just like come back from that. And it seems like he just appreciates everything that has come in his life and they put on a great show and I, I love Matchbox 20. I would see them again and again and again and again. They had a playlist where I was like, they played almost every song I wanted to hear, but every song they played, I wanted to hear. So and it was a great show. All right, and number one, it, this is very just like not interesting. It's not a n- not a crazy choice, but it's obviously Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Um, I mean, Born to Run is my favorite album of all time. Uh, yeah, I. There really isn't much to say. It's Bruce Springsteen because I've seen cover bands. I've gone to bars just because cover bands were playing there. I've seen Bruce over ten times now. Um, Every time he goes, he plays a different set list. Not always my favorite set list. And sometimes he pumps songs I really don't like. But Bruce has too many hits. He has too many of my top 10 favorite songs of all time. My favorite song of all time is Jungle Land. Uh, my third favorite song of all time is Trapped. And like one of my other top 10 favorite songs is She's the One. And the, I've, I've and Badlands and Backstreets. And I, I can go on for days with what I want to hear when it's Bruce Springsteen. I can I, I literally can I can go probably a month of listening to one band and it's them and it would just not drive me upset at all because they've so much they've so many songs, so much success. It's 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 a clear choice. So if you're listening to the podcast, why don't you comment uh either on this or on uh Instagram or wherever you're listening to this or wherever you found this, place a comment. What do you think about my top five favorite bands? Do you have a crazy band or an artist in there that you that people wouldn't know about you that you love? Uh, how high is Bruce on your list? Uh, you know, how far down is he? Maybe you don't like Bruce. So uh, comment. Give me something about your top five favorite artists. So anyway, um, before I let you go, we're gonna do a quick OMMR. I've got a couple actually, because it's been been a couple weeks. I've got four movies for you. All right. I'm going to start off with Ghostbusters, the classic, all right? Honestly, there's not much to say about Ghostbusters. It's, you know, 1984, big-time movie, 
big blockbuster movie. It had some huge SNLers of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. It, it is a quintessential 80s movie, and I think it's very good. I think they nailed the whole like uh, William Atherton uh, bad guy character where he played the, uh, yes, this man has no dick. Um, I, I mean, the lines are great in the movie. It's got one of the best theme songs in movie history. That being said, you know, it, it's it, it's tough to watch that and watch movies today. Um, it's also tough to watch them try and recreate the, the, the magic. Um, they are trying to do it with Paul Rudd and, like, kids. Going to be interesting. Going to see how they do it. Um, but I give Ghostbusters an 84 for 1984 just because they really did nail it. Uh, there's no other movies like it to me. Uh, it's not a horror movie, but it's a, like, you know, Halloween ghost movie. Like, they made a ghost comedy. Um, and Bill Murray, to me, it's... I, I think Pete Venkman's my favorite Bill Murray role. I think that's fair. And I think he's just so funny in it. He uh, he just plays this character of, like, I don't really care about anything. And his character actually might be better in... Ghostbusters 2. No, no, it's not better in Ghostbusters 2, but it's just as good in Ghostbusters 2. And they they really they I don't know. They really nail it. They the the trio and then Ernie Hudson coming in as the fourth is a really great team. They work off each other really well. Ghostbusters, great movie. Alright. Uh 84. Next up, Zombieland 2, Double Tap. Yeah. Um I liked Zombieland the first one. Uh the second one. I didn't think, you know, very highly of it. I went into it being like, I want to see it because there's not a lot out right now, but I'm not going in with high expectations. Um, in terms of sequels, this is one of the better sequels out there. It is hard to make good sequels, whether you're in drama, comedy, tragedy, whatever genre you are in, it's just tough to make sequels. Even when you're a part of like a trilogy or you're making it after a book, sequels aren't easy to make is you try to recapture the magic of the first one. And I think it's even tougher for comedies because you try to make the same jokes. You're like, oh, what worked in the first one? You know, you look, you look at why did Anchorman stink so much? It's like, well, because you tried to force the same exact characters instead of doing new stuff. And then when you do new stuff, it's like seems forced in there. With this one, it seemed like you just had the same characters. It just seemed like the movie, the first movie never ended. And that's what I thought was really good about it. Uh, they brought in a couple new characters that were really funny. I thought uh, the Madison character was just really great. And then, um, you know, nothing really changed about, you know, obviously Abigail Breslin's 10 years older, so what are you going to do? But um, they really kept the characters as, like, the same people. And I thought they all just, like, worked off each other really well. And it was basically the first movie continued. Um, you know, a little campy at times, a little corny. They uh, had some really cool fight scenes. They had some really cool scene with uh, Luke Wilson and uh, not Jesse Eisenberg, but Thomas Middleditch. I thought they were great. The cast was just awesome all around. And uh, in terms of zombie movies, it's it's awesome. It's, it's really good. And uh, is it as good as the first one? Maybe slightly below it. I'm going to give it an 80. Solid 80. Thought solid comedy movie. Maybe a little high on the Jake scale, but you know what? Uh, two thumbs up. Why not? All right. Now we're getting into some really good ones. 
I saw Lighthouse by myself. I went to the movies. You guys know I love to go to the movies by myself because I've got some time sometimes. My girlfriend, she commutes in from the city, and I have uh, the A-list at uh, – the Stubbs A-list at AMC. So, you know, I can go to three movies a week and not be charged. So Lighthouse comes up. Sam doesn't want to see it. I'm like, all right, I'll go check it out myself. Um I wanted to like this movie so much, and I thought the acting was like top notch, really great acting, and I just uh, I thought Robert Pattinson. I was like, you know what? I knew going into the movie I was gonna like Robert Pattinson more, and I and I did that. That happened. I wanted it to be more horrifying, more terrifying. It, I went in thinking this is going to shock me to my core, scary movie. And it really wasn't. It was a tale of cabin fever. A really good tale of cabin fever. Um, I mean, 1890s, you know, talking about lighthousemen wikis or whatever they call them is usually a really boring subject. But the two actors made it very, like, fun to watch them. And I thought they were really great. So uh, I give this movie an 83. <laughs> um I just would have liked it to be a little scarier, and had it been a little more horrifying, a little more terrifying, I could have easily seen this in the 90s, um, but as it is, I have it as an 83. And my final movie, this is going to be this is gonna be a high one, Jojo Rabbit. Another one where I didn't know what to expect, right? Taika Waititi, director of Thor Ragnarok, he's playing Hitler. Or actually, he's playing a 10-year-old's imagination of Hitler. And story about a boy, Jojo, who uh, wants to become a Nazi. It's his dream to become a Nazi. And uh, he's scared. He's young. He's going to Nazi camp. And he gets injured. And after his injury, because he's too close to a grenade, he lives. But he uh, has like a funny walk. And he's not going to be a Nazi anymore because he's, you know, just he's been too injured. So he then finds that his mom is hiding a Jewish girl in the attic. And this is during, you know, basically the Holocaust. So um, he then starts to fall in love with this Jewish girl, treat her nicely as she's hiding in the attic. And, uh, you know, they develop a relationship and they start to like each other. It is a really feel-good movie. Um, I... You know, at different times in the movie, I was laughing. Uh, I I thought Taika Waititi's Hitler, like, impression, whatever you want to call it, whatever he was doing, it was working. It was really funny, and he was good at it. Um, (laughs) And uh, the other character, like, Rebel Wilson and uh, Sam Rockwell were Nazi, uh, and and Alfie Allen were the Nazi, like, uh, teachers, were, like, the, you know, teaching the kids. They were really, really funny. Sam Rockwell's great. I mean, if I ever made a movie, I would just find a role for Sam Rockwell and make him be in it because I think he's that good. And uh, Rebel Wilson, it was great to see her not be like physical comedy only. I feel like everything she's ever in, it's either like fart joke, fat joke, falls over a couch or, or you know, down the stairs or whatever. It's like, you know, can we get something more than just like fat Amy but German? And uh, that was great. She wasn't that at all. And and it was really cool to see her, like, actually act and be funny that way. Alfie Allen was a really cool, like, suck-up to Sam Rockwell. Scarlett Johansson, I think, did a really good job of playing JoJo's mom. And uh, the 
I forget the the kids' names, but the the JoJo and then the girl who played the Jewish girl, they were really good too. And this was a, you know, at sometimes it was a very sad movie, and then there were some feel good moments. And to be honest, this is one of my top movies of the year. I give this a ninety five. I give Jojo Rabbit a 95 because I literally can't change much from this movie. I look at it and say, I want to see it again, right? Of all the movies I've seen this year, Avengers Endgame, I want to see again. John Wick 3, I want to see again. Jojo Rabbit, I want to see again. There's not many other ones that I want to see again. You know, do I really want to see Godzilla again? Not really. Do I really want to see Lighthouse again? Not really. Hustlers? No. Like, Zombieland 2? No. This, though, I want to see this again, and I might just go again just to go watch it because not so much I liked it. I don't have much to say. The soundtrack was awesome. It was a bunch of really cool like you know, rock and roll songs done in German, and uh, it was just a really great story, and I'm now becoming a huge Taika Waititi fan, and I cannot wait for Thor Love and Thunder and anything else he does in the Marvel Universe they got to lock him down and make him do a lot of stuff. Get him involved with Guardians. Get him involved with Richard Ryder or or other cosmic beings. That would be great. So anyway, that's my OMMRs for the week um, for the last couple weeks. It's been a while. I know been a while. I know, it's, uh, I know you guys miss me and miss my podcast. Um, I will be back. Have like a Thanksgiving preview. Go go into the holidays. I will have more, and I have a special surprise for you guys coming in December. Where we're bringing back a little bit of old school. It's going to be great. So thank you guys very much for listening to another episode of the Jake Podcast. Waiting for